how are you guys doing? Are you feeling good today? Awesome. Hey, I want to welcome every person here, everybody tuning in online. I want to just welcome you as, as well. And if you're here today, maybe because of the child dedication, a family or friend member uh, invited you, we're just honored to have you here. My name is Tim. I'm the lead pastor here. And you're kind of stepping into, can I just give you a little bit of caution? You're stepping into kind of a really tense series that we're doing right now called It's Complicated. I believe it's a really important series and an important conversation to have but I also know that sometimes dealing with these real sensitive subjects can be kind of tense. And so if you're new, let me just tell you what we've been doing. We're, we're kind of tackling some of the most, I would say, controversial subjects. We've been talking about politics. We've been talking about abortion. We're, we're talking about sexuality, gender, racism, all these, these really loud conversations happening in culture. And let me just tell you, if you're new, I strongly encourage you to maybe go back and, and watch week one at least, if you're brand new. That's, you'll hear the heart behind why we're doing this series. It's, it's not to be controversial. I, I'm saying that every week like a broken record, but it's really important you hear that. We're not doing this to stir things up. We're not doing this to get everybody riled up. That's not my heart. That's, in fact, I would rather not be talking about a lot of these things. But they're current. They're, they're things that we are all living out in the middle. And so I, I, I felt kind of this weight as a pastor to, to be able to walk our community through these really sensitive conversations. And the way we're walking through them, we've, if you were here week one, is with both truth and what? Grace. It's really important. And whenever you try to hold both of those, it creates tension. But we're gonna, we're gonna lean into the tension. We're gonna lean in. Because listen, I believe that sometimes the most uncomfortable moments in your life will actually produce the most change. The, the moments where we don't really want, I don't wanna hear about are actually the ones that will help you grow the most in your faith. And so if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, can I just say I'm glad you're here. Uh, I, you don't have to believe what I believe or others believe to belong and we want you to be in this community. I really mean that. Um, I also recognize that you might come from a different worldview than many Christ followers that are hopefully building a worldview from the Bible. And so what we're doing is we're holding all these topics in light of Scripture, and we're saying what does Scripture teach us is God's heart for these matters. And, and so it, it may not connect with you in that regard, or you may have a different opinion. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. And now if you are a Christ follower, here's my challenge. My challenge is, and from week one, Whenever your view, your worldview, your thoughts, your ideas about these topics does not line up with Scripture, will you, in the end, submit to God's will? That's the real challenge. And listen, let me say this. It's a lot harder than it sounds. This, this is not easy to walk out. And some of us are processing, and we've had this podcast where we're kind of working through how this looks in real life. I encourage you to pay attention to those. And, and I hope we'll grow together as a community as we walk through them. Now, today... What I want to do is I, I want to, um, and hopefully we'll all bring that same posture into this conversation, but I want to talk about something that's pretty tense. And I'm going to forewarn you because we just had an experience and I know it's going to be tense in here. So I just, we're all just going to, let's take a deep breath. Let's just, and exhale. Okay. Just shake it out and relax. Okay. I promise you it, it's probably going to get tense and some of you might get offended. I apologize in advance. I love you. Okay. We can all be friends afterwards. Let's just, we'll be cool. All right. But I want to talk about something that is really tense. It's a tense conversation in our country. It's one that some say we don't have enough, and that some uh, would say, I wish we could stop having. But I want to talk about prejudice and racism today. 
And this is a very tense conversation in our country. And what really, I think, brought this to the forefront of the cultural conversation is really, um, and more recently, would be what happened in 2020. I think probably all of us are aware what happened in May of 2020. I, I remember exactly where I was and what we were doing when I, I learned of George Floyd and his murder. Um, oddly enough, we were at the church, not this one, our old building in Lithopolis, and we were doing digital experiences at the time. We weren't meeting in person uh, during, because of the pandemic, and we were there to record the worship and usually the message, but I already had the bulk of the message pre-recorded before that. Because the week before that, I did a Zoom kind of interview conversation with some of my uh, black friends and family members of our church and, and beyond um, in response to Ahmaud Arbery's murder. And so I had recorded that. All I was doing was a little setup and then gonna throw it to this on that Monday when someone said to me that afternoon, have you heard about George Floyd? It was that same, literally, we were getting ready in a couple hours to record. I said, no, I hadn't heard. And they said, there's a video out there. And I watched part of the video. I didn't watch the whole video. I watched part of the video, and my just heart sank. And I just I realized, oh, this is, this is awful. This is terrible. And it, it just so happened to be the very weekend that we were going to talk about Ahmaud Arbery, there was now another, another moment that was really going to set things off. And I think all of us can go back in our minds to what transpired after that. It just, uh, there was a, a, a response. There was a, there was a massive nationwide response to the largest civil rights movement that we've had in 60 years in our country. There was protests, protests, some of them turned violent and riots. And there was all this divisiveness that came out of it. You kind of had to pick a side and you either were gonna support black people and what they were dealing with or you're gonna support the police and there was no in between. And it was just a volatile, polarizing and high highly politicized moment. And I just want to recognize like, that, that there's a lot of emotion around this conversation. Let's just all recognize that, okay? There, there's a lot of emotion around it. A lot of us have a lot of thoughts and opinions and ideas, and I, I can appreciate all of that. And I think many of us, if I could just be honest, I think many of us in those conversations have been so influenced by the political rhetoric that has come in response to it but here's what I want you to hear me today. I don't want to have a political conversation. I want to have a human conversation. I want to have a conversation about humanity. I want to have a conversation, if we can, about what it means to be human in our world today. And now I want to talk about it in light of prejudice and racism, which is very much alive. Some people say, no, 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 it's gone. No, you just aren't talking to the right people. It's very much alive today. And so I, I want to talk about that. And it's actually something that humans have been dealing with since the very beginning. Okay, and, and so I want to talk about it. Now, if you brought a Bible with you today, I'm going to tell you where we're going to be. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 10. And so if you love to take notes or you love to dive into the scriptures with me, we are going to get there, Luke 10. Okay, but before we do that, I, I want to first kind of unpack some definitions. And I want to talk about, from a cultural perspective, where prejudice comes from. And in doing so, I want to start with a few, a few definitions, okay? So we're just going to ease our way into this conversation, as, as complicated as it is. Let me, let me just start with a, a few definitions. Let me start with the definition of prejudice. Here's what prejudice is. It's a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or actual experience. A, a simple way of thinking of prejudice could be this. It's kind of the words, think about it, it means to prejudge, right? Right? 
It's to look at someone and you automatically just jump to a conclusion. You, you, you have a judgment, you judge them based on the way they look, you judge them based on what they drive, you judge them based on where they're from. It's just an, an, an automatic judgment. Now, not all prejudice is bad, okay? Prejudice in general can be, sometimes could be favorable. However, most of us, when we think about prejudice, we think about it in the negative, okay? It's, it's to look at someone without any reason, no experience, you don't really know them, but you automatically judge them. And let's be honest, we all do that to some extent every day. Let's just, let's just own that, okay? I'm not even talking about just race. I'm just talking about we, we all jump to conclusions about people all the time, okay? Now, racism, what is that? Racism can be defined as prejudice or discrimination against a particular race or ethnic group. So what, what is the difference? Um, prejudice, okay, can be, you can be prejudiced about someone for all different types of reasons. Racism, though, what is racism? Racism always includes prejudice. In other words, racism is prejudice that is pointed at someone because of their race or their ethnicity, okay? And, and so I, I want us to understand that uh, prejudice isn't always racist, but racism is always prejudice. It's always got them connected. And, and so I wanna first begin, though, by talking about where prejudice comes from. Because I actually think it is something that is so sneaky that if we're not careful, it can sneak up into our hearts without us even realizing where it comes from. And, and I believe that it's actually a natural thing that sometimes will come in our world because of the way we live. No, let, me, let me talk about it. See, deep down inside of all of us as humans, one of our, I think, our greatest felt needs, one of our greatest desires as humans is our need for connection. I, I think all of us, recognize that we need people, we need connections, we need others in our lives. We have this deep desire inside of us all to be loved and accepted. Everybody wants that. We all want that. I, I wanna know someone accepts me and loves me, and here's what it does, okay? That deep emotion of love and acceptance that we all crave, what it does is it drives us to find community. It drives us to find people. If you think about even the biblical narrative of creation, the one thing that wasn't good from the very beginning was what? That man was alone. God said, no, 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 we're not wired that way. God is relational. He made us to be relational. And so there's a, a need in us that drives to find community. Now, what is community? Community is simple, right? Community is finding people. It's a group where you share something in common, and we have all different types of communities. Let's be honest. Think about all the different communities. I mean, you can have a mom's group where you go hang out and you go to the playground and you take your kids and you connect. That's a, that's a community. With, we, we sometimes have communities based on geography. It's called a neighborhood where you might get to know your neighbors and you have relationships and friendships with your neighbors or maybe because you all live in the same neighborhood, your kids all go to the same schools and they play on the same sports teams and so what do you do? You end up building relationships with parents in sports. That's a community, it really is. There's all kinds of communities. You can, you can have community based around a political identity. We're Republicans, we're Democrats. These are communities that we form into. We, we look for something in common that unites us. That's community, right? Now, there's a, a community, if you're not aware of it, there's a community at the gym. If you're a gym person, if you're a gym rat, you know there's a unique community at the gym where everybody speaks a different language. 
And everybody understands the world differently at the gym. And you, you go there and you're just like, hey, you man, you need a spot, you need a lift, you know what I mean? And you just kind of, and they grunt and look at each other and, uh, and you, you know, and it's like we're all, we all get each other, you know? There, there's all kinds of communities. Can I just tell you, this is a community. The church is a community. And what do we have in common? A shared faith in Jesus or, or maybe a purpose in this world or maybe we're looking for friendships and people to love us and accept us. This is a, a community. There's nothing wrong with having a community. There's nothing wrong with desiring a community. That's incredible. We all, we all want community. But listen, but there's an unintended consequence that happens when you connect up with people that you share something in common with. Let, let me illustrate this. I, I brought a little illustration to help because I thought maybe this would help. Okay, uh, real simple question. I just wanna ask, um, and, I, and I'm gonna need a show of hands, okay, to help with this. This is, okay, real simple question, right? How many of you, okay, we got two options today. So don't, I'm not, this isn't Baskin Robbins. We don't have 31 flavors, two options. How many of you would say, I love vanilla? Raise your hand. You love vanilla. Okay, all right. Got some vanilla lovers in the house. That's good, that's good. Okay, got like a good vanilla ice cream, right? How many of you would say you love chocolate? Raise your hand. Oh, whoa. We got some chocolate lovers in the house. Love some chocolate ice cream, right? I want you to imagine that you, let's just say you love chocolate ice cream. And I thought if we're gonna do this illustration, we might as well do it right. If we're gonna, you know, I mean, I didn't wanna get ice cream out here and not kinda dig into it just a little bit, but um, yeah, I imagine if you love chocolate ice cream, you probably have a lot of emotions and feelings mm, about chocolate ice cream, right? I mean, I want you to imagine that you love chocolate ice cream so much that one of the things that you love to do is every week you get together with all your friends who love chocolate ice cream and you travel around to all the different ice cream shops, and what do you do? You try out all the different chocolate ice creams. Oh, this is so good. Mm. Man, you ought, you ought to try this. Good. Wow, it's so hostile. My gosh. I got some more. Does anybody want any? Okay. But I want you to imagine, like, let's say you love chocolate ice cream so much that you... Get together with a bunch of friends. You got this club, Chocolate Ice Cream Lovers Club. And you, you, you go to all the chocolate shops, right? And you go, to, you go around and you try, because there's so many different types of chocolate ice creams out there. There's milk chocolate, and there's um, a dark chocolate, and then there's chocolate, chocolate chunk, and then there's chocolate chocolate chip, and then there's, you know, you know what I mean? And you go to Grater's, and you, go to all, you, you visit all the different places, and you try chocolate. And every week you do this, and you just get together because everybody loves chocolate, and I love being with people who love chocolate ice cream, right? And you get together. Let me tell you what will happen when you spend all your time with people who love chocolate ice cream. After a while, here's what you'll do. You'll start to think, everybody loves chocolate ice cream, right? I mean, who doesn't love chocolate ice cream? Here, here's what I have found. Whenever we find something that we identify with, and then we find a, a group of people that really agree with that, and they share the same view, what naturally comes, this is an unintended consequence that happens, this is what we don't mean for this, is that we immediately start to think 
that everybody else that doesn't like chocolate ice cream the way I like chocolate ice cream, there's something wrong with them. All right? That's why every chocolate ice cream lover in the house is going, I don't know what's wrong with you vanilla ice cream people, but everybody knows that chocolate ice cream is the only ice cream to have. It's the best ice cream, right? Because, because we, we, we can't imagine the world different than how we see it. It's, it's kind of like, um, how many of you love sushi? Raise your hand if you love sushi. Okay, okay. Yeah, I don't have any sushi. I'm not bringing it out. Don't worry. I don't like sushi. But here's what I found about sushi people. They cannot imagine anybody who cannot love sushi like they love sushi. Right? You can't imagine it. How do you not like sushi? I don't like raw fish. I'm sorry. I don't. And what I'm saying is that there's an unintended consequence of seeking community, of longing to find people that you share something in common with, is that when you spend all your time with people in just your community, you start to think anybody who thinks different, anybody who's not a part of this community, that somehow their worldview is less than yours. It's natural. And this same thing can happen with race. You know, um, growing up, I, I grew up mostly in Columbus. And I grew up near Whitehall in Columbus. Okay, wow. Got <laughs> some friends from Whitehall. I, that was a little, that was unexpected. And, and I, I grew up in, in Columbus, and, and it was a little bit of a diverse area, but not a ton where I grew up in the 80s. Like on my street were probably mostly white families. Couple streets over, there was maybe a lot more black families, and um, and I, I kind of grew up in this. I, I guess I want to say this bubble. I went to a church that um, was a small church in Whitehall, and it was a predominantly white church. It was a small church in the middle of a predominantly black area. It was it was kind of odd. It was funny. Like we were just a, almost an all white church in the middle of a predominantly black area. I went to school. Um, in Christian schools, and some of which were from our church. Our church actually had a Christian school that didn't have a lot of kids. And if you imagine, almost everybody in the church was white. Imagine every student in the school was white. And I grew up in this, this unintended consequence. I grew up in this bubble where everybody around me was basically like me. Everybody shared the same view, the same faith view, the same everything. All that changed right after my freshman year where my parents, um, we moved. We moved to Germany. Completely different culture. And we were attached to the military base. We were a part of a military at the time. And so I went to a military public school in Germany that was incredibly diverse. Imagine, it's different military from all over the country that were stationed in that area. And, and it, it, was, it was incredibly diverse. And my whole world changed in that one moment. Why? Because I lived in this bubble that was really small, and I, I had a very limited view and perspective of the world, and now my world was getting, it was, it was widening, it was expanding in that moment. And I, I remember being, um, being a, a brand new student, and I didn't know anybody. I was the outsider, and uh, everybody in that place was, was just, you know, they'd been there, they were different, and I didn't know anyone. When I'll never forget, like, one of the moments that really changed me and impacted me was where one kid in my class, it was like the first or second day, came up to me and said, hey, you want to you wanna go to lunch with me? You want to sit with me? That's a big deal when you're a new student. 
And oh, by the way, he was black. And he ended up becoming my best friend all through high school. And can I just tell you that I, I had like, to be honest, a lot of preconceived ideas of black people that kind of fell apart the moment I had a real close relationship with one of them. And the reason why I say that is because we don't even realize that sometimes just, and it could be anything that is our community, but we can spend so much time with everybody that likes the same thing and looks the same way as us that we don't even, we don't even see the world in a different way. And here's one of the unintended consequences where prejudice can really begin to, to build inside of us is when, you know, we start to believe that our way is the right way. My worldview is like the worldview, right? My values are the right values. My belief, my culture is the only culture. Can I just tell you, this is not just about like black and white and all. This, is, this goes beyond that. In, in fact, internationally, can I just tell you um, about the way the world views Americans? Here's something that we as Americans do. We have something called American pride. I'm, I'm proud of our country. I really am. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? But, but let's be honest. Think about some of the rhetoric that we use even as Americans, you know? We live in the best country in the world. Yeah, don't, don't say that kind of stuff when you travel outside of the U.S., please. It's not received very well. We have the best government there is. Well, we might think so, but we don't have the only government. We, don't, we have the best culture. We have the best of, ah. See, I, I think we don't even realize, and it can kind of come through as something that we're proud of. I understand that. But do you know to others, you know what they see that as? Like arrogant, prideful, your way isn't the only way. Your world isn't the only world. There's also my world. And so without even meaning to, this is not even about being negative or hateful. Without even meaning to, all of a sudden, when we, when we, when we commune with people who are like us, we start to look at others who aren't as less than. We kind of begin, our worldview is better, theirs isn't. And what comes out of that next is some language. All of a sudden, we start using language like us and them. Right? We, we do that in sports. You know, it's so funny. I, I love when I hear people um, talk about their sports team. Like, you know, like they're Browns fans, and they're always like, man, this year we're going to be so good. I'm like, you're not playing for the Browns. No, 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 man, I'm telling you, we're going to kill it this year. Like, we got a team. We're so good. I'm like, what do you mean we? What, what do we do? I identify with something I have in common, and then I automatically start to think everybody else has the wrong view. Everybody else has a lower view, and us, and them, and they, and then we use things like those people, and stereotypes begin to build, right? Because we talk about how great our community is, and I can't believe those people do that, and we buy into stereotypes, what are stereotypes, where we just kind of assume that everybody in that group is like that because of what we've heard, and then we'll say sometimes with our language things like, oh, they're all lazy, They're all ignorant. They're all backwards. They're all dumb. There's things that we do, and we don't even realize it. And, and, 
and I think it's an unintended thing. I, I, I don't think it's people intending to be mean or malicious at first, but we have to all understand that little seeds of prejudice can get planted in our heart when, when we just connect with people who are like us. I wanna talk about how these, these prejudices are formed and, and, I, and I think the reality is that it can impact us all in different ways. In fact, I, I wanna do a little, I don't know, a little experiment for a moment. I wanna, I wanna read to you, I'm just gonna list some different groups of people. And I don't want anybody to respond out loud. In fact, I got this from another friend of mine, a pastor, and, uh, and I loved it, and it made me think. And I w- I'm gonna read off a, a group of people, off a list, and here's what I want you to do. I just want you to internalize this. And I want you to be really honest with yourself today, all of us. I want you to think, how many times have I heard someone say, those people, about these groups? But I, I don't want you to also just think how many times have I heard others say that? I want us to kind of just openly and honestly think how many times have I thought? How many times have I maybe said this? How many times have I felt this way? And so as I, as I just list off a few of them, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to say anything out loud. I, I want you to, what's your emotional response to this group of people, okay? Those people always, maybe you've heard this before. What about the rich? Well, they always, or how about the poor? What about the educated? Or the uneducated? Or how about the young? Those young kids, they always. Or how about the older? How about women? Or men? How about immigrants? What about the police? How about LGBT community? How about Republicans? They always, how about Democrats? How about Michigan fans? (laughs) We just had to lighten the mood a little bit. (laughs) But let's also flip that. How about Ohio State fans? Okay, we got a few. Okay, I didn't mean to start a war. Just talking about racism, but, you know, Michigan and Ohio State get you going. Um, how about let's, let's take this and make it, like, with nationalities. They always, have you ever thought this, Middle Easterners, Jews, Hispanics, Africans, Asians, the French, Russians, or here in our country, African-Americans, Caucasians. You see, how you internally feel in those moments just hearing these different groups, I think, can sometimes cause things to bubble up in our heart. And I know sometimes that makes us uncomfortable. I'm not trying to make us uncomfortable. I'm trying to challenge us to peel back some layers and to look in our own hearts for just a moment. And I wanna, I wanna say uh, something that I really think is the starting point for this conversation, an honest conversation. And I'm gonna make a statement that you may or may not agree with, okay? I can appreciate that. But this is just something that I, I really think is the beginning of 
an honest conversation in this area, and that's this thought. We all have the potential of having prejudice or racism in our hearts. If there's something in you that pushes back at that, just allow the Holy Spirit to push back at you. We all have the potential of having prejudice or racism in our hearts. We really do. And when I think about our country nationally, when I I think about our history and what we've experienced, we need to at least recognize that racism has, has created so many evils in our own country. Like, and I think sometimes, can I be honest, sometimes we just don't wanna hear about it. But we will never be able to find healing and be able to move forward as a nation until we deal with it. It's not just even here. I think about around the world genocide that has happened throughout our history, human history, simply because of racism, because they're different. In our own country, I think about slavery, how we enslaved Africans in our own country. The atrocities of slavery, I believe, have stained the soul of America that we still deal with it today. Think about redlining. If you don't know what redlining is, it's where they used to draw red line around certain communities and districts where the banks would not lend money to black communities. How do you think that repressed people? And then what have we seen? We've seen generationally an inequitable um, wealth gap create because of what's happened historically. We see the injustice that has happened when it comes to our legal process throughout the years. We've seen all these different things, and that's just on the big scale. Let's talk about on the personal level. There are so many people that have experienced the pain of personal hatred toward them. I hear some people want it to go away. I think all of us want it to go away. But some people want the conversation to go away. But others don't want it to go away because they're still dealing with it. And it's led to so many evils in our country. And I understand this, listen, there are some, I'm just gonna say, there are some people in our community that you've experienced racism aimed at you. Literally, I was having lunch with a friend from our community who said he's had people call him and his kids names right there with his kids. The most vile word you can imagine. This still happens today. There's others in our community, and I just wanna say this, and and we know that there's love and there's grace, but you have been the one handing it out. You've had uh, and done racist things toward other people and said things, and maybe, hopefully in the past, and hopefully there's been repentance, but there there are some that I think would, would just, like, we want the tense conversation to go away. There's others that want something to change. I think, even when it comes to this conversation, let's just all understand that this is such an emotionally charged conversation in our nation that I think at times we don't know how to respond. Can I just say at times I have not known how to respond? If it feels almost unsafe, like if I say this, I don't wanna say the wrong thing, and so what if I mess up and you get canceled, and if you don't say, and then I found out, well, if you don't say anything, then that's just as bad as, maybe worse than saying the wrong thing, and so maybe you should, and, and, and I remember this in 2020, because when, when all this happened with George Floyd, there was a lot of us in our community that, that we wanted to stand with the black community that felt 
this ongoing, like this was another example of, of injustice happening in our country, and, and, and we said things, and, and then there were people who got mad in our church, and we had people who got mad because they said, you said something and you shouldn't say anything, and other people got mad and left and said, you didn't do enough. And so I get it, it's an emotionally charged conversation that is, sadly has become completely politicized. But for many, this is a deeply personal issue, not a political one. And what I think is maybe the best thing that we can do, all of us as followers of Jesus in this community, is to go to scriptures and say, what does the Bible say about prejudice and racism? What is God's heart? And by the way, you should know this. There is a lot that the Bible speaks about injustice, about racism and prejudice, a lot. Some of these topics that we've hit, the Bible doesn't speak directly to or very much. This one, it does. And if I had time, I could literally bring dozens of passages to you. Can I tell you a lot of passages that's really easy to skip over when you don't deal with racism? There's a lot of things in there about how God feels about the marginalized, the oppressed, and, and and yet today I just wanted to focus in on primarily one passage and that was something that Jesus said about it. And so if you got your Bible, we're gonna go to scripture now in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, there's a story that I think many of us are familiar with. Let me just begin to read it together. I believe it's starting in verse 25. It says, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Okay, that's a great question. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, all your strength and all your mind. And you should love your what? I know it's not Mark, but let's say it. Love your your neighbor, how? As yourself. And I love Jesus' response. He's like, you got it. Right. He's like, do this and you'll live. You know, one thing that we discover, even in this moment, is that Jesus shows us that the highest value, perhaps, in all of God's kingdom is love. That if there's something that matters to the heart of God more than anything else, it's love. Why? Because this Jewish uh, expert in the law is, is asking Jesus, what do I gotta do to inherit eternal life? And he said, love God and love your neighbor. That These are the highest values in God's kingdom. Now, This guy does what a lot of us do. Can we qualify that? What do you mean by love your neighbor? So look at what happens. He goes on. The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, oh, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. I love this. He doesn't answer. He just gives him a story. This is a story you're probably familiar with. My guess is everybody has heard this story, but I want us to look at it with fresh eyes today. He said this, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. I mean, you would all think, how great is it? Here's a man of the cloth, a righteous man, a religious man. A priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he did what? He crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Then a temple assistant, somebody who worked at the church, he walked over and he looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. And maybe you've heard this part. It says, then a despised Samaritan came along. 
And when he saw the man, he felt what? Can we all say it out loud? He felt, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn and there he took care of him. And it says that next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, here's Jesus, kind of land in the airplane. He says, now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was just attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him what? The one who showed him mercy. And here's Jesus. He said, yes, now go and do the same thing. Now, I, I imagine most of us have heard this parable numerous times. Even if you haven't been in church, you've heard of the good Samaritan. And I think we've heard it so often that when we hear the word Samaritan, we immediately think, here's what we think. We think, oh, that's somebody who helps people. It's just a, a nice guy. But, but that is, you will miss the emphasis and the context if you do not understand what it was like between Jews and Samaritans. The Jews and Samaritans, can I tell you something? They hated each other. The Jews despised the Samaritans. They actually treated them like dogs. And here's the irony of it all. Jews and Samaritans both came from the exact same family. Isn't that ironic? They come from the same family, they come from the same, and yet they they hated each other. They came from a guy named Abraham. Now, this is really important. I need to walk you through something so you can understand where this really came from in scriptures. Abraham was a guy that God picked, handpicked, because he was going to do something incredible through his line. And so God, God spoke to Abraham before he had kids, and he said, I'm gonna make you a father of many nations, and he gave him a promise. And I wanna read that promise to you. It's found in Genesis chapter 12, verse two and three. Here's what God promised Abraham. He said, I will make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you're gonna be a blessing. He said this, I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And then he said, and what? Can you read this? This is really important. And all, let's read it together again. And all peoples on earth will be blessed. How? Through you. Okay? I want us to keep this in mind. This was the promise when God spoke to Abraham. Now, if you know the history, Abraham ended up having kids, and they had kids, and they had kids, and a, a family turned into a nation, right? And this nation, over time, started to get this identity that we're special. Like, I, God loves us more than he loves anybody else. We're God's chosen nation. I mean, God loves us. I mean, we must be the greatest people on the earth. God favors us more than he favors anybody else, right? Can I, can I just point out something that's really obvious and a little bit ironic? Here's a nation, the Jewish nation, that has this pride, this identity on how great they are, not because anything they did, but because God picked Abraham. It's funny to me that People today still hold some type of view that they're somehow better than somebody else that looks different, has different color of skin, not because of anything they did, but because of what just naturally happened to them through life. And so here are the Jews, and they, they think, we're better than everyone else. No, God picked Abraham because God was gonna send Jesus through him for all peoples. And do not, do not mistake God choosing Abraham in this line as somehow disapproving of other people or thinking you're better than anybody else. God needed someone to use, and he liked Abraham. 
They're like Abraham. And what we need to recognize is that eventually their promise became their prejudice. Sit with that for a moment. Their promise became their prejudice. God chose us. We're great. We're be- God loves us. He's going to send the Messiah for us. We're the chosen ones. We're the- and, they, and they missed the whole point. The blessing was God was going to do something through you for everybody else. And, and so if you follow history, and I, I've got to move a little faster, so you guys are slowing me down because you really love this history. I get it. I get it. That family turned into a nation. They ended up splitting into two, the northern and the southern. The northern kingdom, many of them were wicked, and they turned away from worshiping the one true God to false idols. So God removed his hand of blessing, and the Assyrians eventually came in in 722 B.C. and attacked Samaria, the capital, and they basically destroyed the northern portion and took many of them back to their land, and they enslaved them. And then something happened that the king did. Now, I'm trying to show you where the promise became prejudice. And when we get to 2 Kings chapter 17 that kind of chronicles what happened, it tells us what the king of Assyria did. Let me show you this. In 2 Kings 17, it says, The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon and Kutha and Ava. I don't know how to say these names. I'm just making it up as we go. Hamath and Sepharvim. I don't know. I butchered it. But here's what he did. He brought all these foreign people and settled them in the towns of where? I'm trying to show you this. He brought all these foreigners in who settled in the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. And they took over Samaria and lived in its towns. And they intermarried and they interconnected. They lived with the Jews that were there. And listen, everybody in the southern portion of Israel who were already proud about our lineage and our promise. And that that through our line God was going to do something. Guess what they thought? Oh, you're half-breeds. Oh, you don't have a share in the promise anymore because you have tainted DNA. And they hated them. And so this is the context as Jesus tells the story of this good Samaritan helping a Jew that would never happen in their day. Because the Jews avoided the Samaritans. The Samaritans avoided the Jews. By the way, this is what shocked everybody when Jesus in John chapter 4 said he had to go through Samaria because he had a divine appointment with a Samaritan woman that was ostracized in her culture. Everybody was shocked. How can you talk to these people? And Jesus would say, the promise has become your prejudice and you've messed it up because Jesus came for all people's not just the Jews. They, and so for Jesus' audience to hear this story, it was shocking. And so in the context of the story, when asking Jesus what matters the most to God, what did he say? Love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. Can I tell you where prejudice comes to light? This is where I think prejudice comes to light. It's when we actually love ourselves more than we love our neighbor. Prejudice comes to life in us when we don't do the thing that Jesus said, which is loving others as you would love yourself, but when you actually love yourself more than you love others. That's, that's where prejudice comes from. 
It's where, it's where oh, I, 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 it's, it's about me. And I don't love others as well as I do love myself. And let me just say this. If you're a Christ follower, I want you to please hear this. You cannot say you love God and hate your brother. I don't care what color, what nationality. You cannot. Scripture's really clear about that. You can't say, oh, I, just, I, I, I love God, but then turn around and actually hold something toward another person or group because of the color of their skin, their ethnicity, where they're from, their culture. And by the way, let me just say this. There is a big difference between not hating and loving. I think sometimes we kind of like, well, I don't hate anybody. Well, that's fine. That's not what we're called as Christ followers. He didn't say, Derek, let's just live in where we don't hate everybody. No, we're actually called to go beyond that, which is to love everybody. There is a big difference between not hating and actually loving people. There's a big difference. And in this story, what do we get? He got a Samaritan who would have every reason and justification for walking by on the other side like the other Jews did. But it says when he saw him hurting, he felt compassion for the man. He felt compassion. I think sometimes in the church we talk a lot about compassion. Jesus had compassion. The church should be full of compassion. We should love people. We should. But I think sometimes we also confuse compassion with empathy. See, there's a difference. I think empathy is important. I think empathy is actually the starting point toward compassion. The reason why some never even take a step toward compassion for those that are different than them is because they don't start with empathy. Here's what empathy would do. Empathy, if, if the Samaritan had empathy but not compassion, he would walk by and he would see this guy who was wounded and beating, uh, beaten and laying there to, dead, to die and a guy with empathy would say, oh, that's awful. I feel so bad for him. I can't imagine what it'd be like to be jumped and robbed and left for dead. I, feel, I just, my heart breaks for him. Man, I'm gonna pray for him. Well, I just keep walking. I just, man, I just feel so bad. I just, I wanna pray for him. See, empathy is where you can put yourself in that person's shoes to see the world from their perspective. But empathy doesn't cause you to act. Compassion does. It said this man had compassion. You know what the word compassion means? It means to suffer with. See, most of us think compassion is, oh, I just feel something for that person. No, that's empathy. Compassion means to suffer with them. How did this guy have compassion for him? What did he do? He actually stopped and interrupted his day. And he used his supplies to bandage his wounds. And he stuck him on his donkey. So he walked and the guy got to ride. And he paid for him to recover in an inn. And he said, if it costs more, I'll pay even more. You see, compassion will cost you something. Compassion costs us something. There's a big difference. And I think sometimes we're okay by saying, well, I feel empathetic toward the marginalized. I feel empathetic toward that people group. I feel empathetic. Maybe we're not just called to have empathy, but we're called to have compassion. There's a difference. I never realized that difference as much as I did in 2020. In 2020, um, after George Floyd's murder, in June of that month, I was invited to uh, join in a prayer rally in the town of Lancaster, which I thought was great, because by the way, the town of Lancaster is one of the whitest cities in America. It literally is, according to statistics. 
99 point something white. And, and I, someone called me because we had a campus at the time and they said, um, would you like to join us? And there was all these protests going on and there was all, all this stuff and there was people getting, you know, it was just becoming really inflamed at that time. And, and this wasn't a protest, it was a prayer rally. It was a, a show of solidarity with black pastors and white pastors and civic leaders to pray for our nation and to pray for those who are hurting in that season. And so I said, yeah, I'll go. And my friend, Pastor Matthew from the tree, who's preached here many times, he went as well. And I'll never forget, they, they asked the pastors to come and to start at a specific place and to do this walk, a prayer kind of walk. And we started at this house in Lancaster that honestly, I didn't even know this historically, was a house that was used for the Underground Railroad at, at the time of trying to help slaves escape. And so we, we came together, and black pastors, white pastors, and uh, we linked arms. They said, come on, let's link arms. And so we linked arms across the way and we walked this walk from there to the center of town where there was a, a prayer rally gonna be held. And um, we walked and we prayed and someone wanted to worship and sing some songs. And, and you know, as we, we walked and we came toward town, it was just across the middle of the street and there's white and black pastors and all of us together. Um, and everybody's eyes were looking at, at us. Um, I'll be real honest, it, it was really uncomfortable. Just me personally, it was really uncomfortable. And I realized in that moment, as I was linking arms with others and we're praying and we're going to this prayer rally, I realized I have never had to march or protest or gather to pray because of the color of my skin. That's never happened for me. And I realized this was really uncomfortable for me, but was probably pretty common for the brother next to me. And I realized, like, as uncomfortable as that made me in that moment, that maybe what we are called to do as Christ followers and talking about the church leading the way, maybe we are called to get uncomfortable and to show compassion will sometimes cause us to have to get uncomfortable. And to, to, to stand with others, to suffer with other scripture says that when one part of the body suffers, every part suffers. That, that maybe we need to have that kind of posture. And maybe if it starts in the church, it'll spread. I, I asked myself this question, and I'm gonna wrap up, but I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about a subject that's really sensitive and maybe even tense for a lot of people. And I thought to myself, what's, what's it gonna do? It feels like sometimes this is such a, a huge problem that I feel like, how is this ever gonna change? How will things change? And then, and then I realized the reality of this conversation and this moment. I thought, how will things change? And I realized the way things change is when it starts with me. Change begins with me. If all of us would take that posture today, this is what I'm asking of our community, regardless of how you feel about this. Change begins with me. I, I have to be willing to look in the mirror and say, God, through your Holy Spirit, is there anything in my heart, are there, is there a prejudice toward a group of people that I don't even realize has, has led to 
me to have thoughts and ideas to disassociate, to keep my distance, to not even suffer with them. And here's what I want us to at least own. That if Peter, the guy who started the church after Jesus left, and the other disciples, if all of them had to root out generations of prejudice, and they did. You know, they were um, prejudiced and racist toward Samaritans and toward Gentiles. And you know what Jesus told them to do? He said, you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And they would not go. They wouldn't go initially. And God had to come in and go, I gotta change your mind. You think the promise was for you? It's for all people. I love everyone. I created a diverse world and I love every single person that I have created in this planet. I love every one of them. Take that message and and they had to be challenged with their prejudice. And I'm thinking to myself, if Peter and the apostles and the disciples who were with Jesus, they had to confront their prejudice, then maybe all of us should too. I know we don't like this. I know maybe it makes us uncomfortable. But maybe we can begin by addressing some stereotypes that we've held. Do you know how to address stereotypes that you have? Begin to build a relationship with somebody in that group. The moment you get to know them, guess what you realize? Oh, all those stereotypes, they weren't true. Build relationships with people. And if, if we could just, and we, as we close and end, and I understand that this is tense. I understand there's a lot of questions, and we've got a lot of political questions, and we can wrestle through some of those in the podcast. I, I appreciate that. This is a moment where I would love for us all to internally ask the Holy Spirit to check our hearts. Change begins with me. And maybe we'll just, I'll just leave you with this passage from Psalm 139. This is David, and I love this. Maybe this could be our, our prayer today as a community. David said, search me, God, and know my heart. I wonder if maybe God knows our heart sometimes more than we know our heart. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. If this kind of causes something to rise up inside of you, if there's a tension, if there's a knot in yourself, yeah, but what about, and what about this, situa- but this situation, then maybe it's, this is one of those moments where you're saying, God, I'm gonna invite you into this tension. So see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, if there's anything offensive in my heart, I want you to deal with it. I want to surrender it. I want to repent of it. And God, I want you to change my heart and I want you to help me to be an agent of change. Amen. Come on. If there's anything that's going to change in this world, it's going to start somewhere. Let's let it start with us. Come on, let's pray. Father, I am, I'm challenged by this message. Because God, I'm challenged by the thought that I could have seeds of prejudice in me. Maybe they're just even unintended because of the communities that I've had, the experiences I've grown up with. God, I I pray that our community would be a community that reflects your heart. I pray, God, that we're more than a community that talks about empathy, but we are a community of compassion. That, God, we will bandage the wounds when when one part of our family and our community suffers, that we all are going to suffer with them, to have compassion. God, I I pray that you would would reveal to each and every one of us, God, maybe some things. Maybe there's jokes that we've 
allowed to persist. There's stereotypes that we've held on to. There's a, a distancing that we have, uh, we've done to those who are different. There's a, a way that we view other people. God, in this moment, maybe if this is your heart, maybe you just say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. The greatest place to begin is repentance and say, God, forgive me. I ask that you change my heart. God, help me to see people the way you see people. Help me to love people the way you love people. And I pray that, God, our community, this church community, would be a beautiful reflection and representation of your heart for the diversity of our world, of this community, that, God, we would reflect heaven not just in our language, but God, in this community. Lord, thank you, for, thank you for your work. I thank you for your grace. God, I pray that there's no condemnation here today. But I pray, God, the truth of your word would convict us, that, God, we could live out in your grace. Lord, thank you for meeting us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Come on, let's thank God for his grace and compassion toward us. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I wanna say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.